World's Finest Podcast, Episode 19. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. Greetings. How was your Christmas, James? Christmas was fantastic. Yeah? Uh, I got a Nintendo Wii. Lucky. Yeah, <laughs> very lucky. Uh, my, my mom lorded it over me that I was going to get one uh, for Christmas, and I couldn't have it until Christmas. No. And she bought it in October. <laughs> oh! So, but uh, it, was a, it was a good Christmas for me. Yeah. That's cool. That's but, cool. How about you? Mine was good. Um, I know I spoke about this on a recent Earth Today, not the show, but I know we have some listeners that don't listen to the other podcasts, so I will, you know, speak about it again here. Um, I was really spoiled this year. Really spoiled. <laughs> I mean, I got uh, Series 2 of Doctor Who. I got two seasons of Quantum Leap. I got Seasons 4 of both The Batman and Teen Titans. Um, shit. Uh, Jenny bought me some iPod headphones, which I really needed because... Uh, my old ones are just really jank. I got a ton of money. I mean, some a really good amount of money. But the money is actually for an upcoming trip that Jen and I are taking. Um, yeah, I mean, I said it before and I'll say it again. I have not been this spoiled come Christmas time since I was like eight years old. And my dad bought me the... Uh, James, you might be a little too young to remember this. Do you remember... Okay, you remember the old G.I. Joe toy line, okay? But do oh, you yeah. remember that big seven-foot-long aircraft carrier that they had? I don't know if you remember that. Not off the top of my head. Okay, I know we have some listeners out there who are going to remember that thing. My dad bought that thing for me for Christmas. The thing was literally seven feet long, James, and it was an <laughs> aircraft carrier for your G.I. Joes. It was the most badass thing ever. And I, How did you fit that in your room? You know, at, <laughs> at my dad's house, they had this, there was a bedroom in the back that was mine for when I visited, and it was a pretty big room. And uh, I didn't, the thing is, I never slept in the room. I, I always fell asleep on the couch watching TV. So one morning I woke up and I opened presents and blah, blah, blah. And my dad's like, oh, there's one more in the back room. Why don't you go look? I'm like, okay. And I open it up and I'm like, holy shit. You know, okay, I'm sure I didn't say that when I was eight years old. But that was my general reaction. You know, <laughs> I mean, think, that thing was expensive. And my dad spent like a week putting the goddamn thing together and putting the stickers on the right places. I mean, I, I thought I was spoiled then. But no, this Christmas I was really spoiled. So, uh, but, uh, you know. It's it's not about, just about the gifts. It's about the family time, too. And I had real good time with my family as well. Um, got to spend it with some aunts and uncles and things like that. No fights. That's always good. You know, Christmas time fights suck hardcore. So Yeah. Uh, but anyways, how was your birthday? Uh, that, on the other hand, was uh, horrible. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I worked nine hours no. <laughs> on my birthday. And then I get home at like 10 10.30 at night, and I don't do anything. I really just got on my computer and watched, like, TV. Uh, and nobody was at the house, so I was just there by myself. So it was oh. like... And uh, I didn't really get... I got, like, uh, a couple of Wii controllers for, for my brother, which was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. But, like, the rest of my, my... Or my birthday, rather, was taken up by my car repairs. Oh. People helping me pay for my car. But, uh, yeah. 
so I'm 25. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Woohoo. Oh, shut up. Shut the hell up. Dude, like six, seven weeks, I turn 30. So just chill out with the 25 stuff. Just no, out. it's not the fact that I'm 25 so much as the fact that I'm still, like, living at home. And oh. I'm, I'm still three, I still have three years to go in college because yeah. I've been out for two years and uh-huh. I'm changing my major again. And But I'm starting that back on Tuesday, so at least oh. I'm back on the track. That's good. That's good. What uh, What classes are you taking? I'm majoring in English. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just, I have, like, a couple of core classes I need to kind of tie up, like, loose ends. And then I can jump into my upper-level English classes. Good. Very good. That's cool. So then, uh, continuing the trend, how was your New Year's? New Year's? Uh, I just really played Xbox all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it, right, yeah. for X- that. And uh, I'm really just enamored with uh, Eternal Sonata for the 360. It's uh, beautiful, beautiful game. But you had an actual New Year's Day off? Yes, oh, I that's did. that's good. That's good. So at least you had some semblance of a New Year's slash birthday. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, Jen and I, we went to, uh, for New Year's Eve, we went to a friend's party, and uh, we just played Wii Sports all night long. That's all we did. I mean, it was it was fun. It was just playing Wii tennis and bowling and baseball and all those games. And just, you know, shooting the shit with people. We, uh, there was uh, one guy there I had met only like once before, and I didn't know much about him, and we got to talking about uh, comic books. And one of the topics that came up was uh, the recent storyline, Spider-Man One More Day, which, James, I'm sure you're familiar with just from hearing about it at the Earth 2 forums. I've kind of glanced over it. Right, and it's this big controversial story because they've completely retconned the Spider-Man-Mary Jane marriage. And we knew that was happening, but it's how they did it. That's very controversial. So me and this this one guy, we just spoke about it for like an hour. Just We were just throwing out ideas, like better ways they could have done it. If it was going to happen, if Marvel was going to force this uh, this thing to happen, to, this, this undoing of the marriage to happen without a death or a divorce, we just came up with like all these different ways that didn't involve... Sorry for the slight, slight spoiler, guys, but if you don't know it by now, I don't know what rock you've been living under, but by literally making a deal with the devil. That's how they undid it. It's like, what? You know, there's there's so many cooler ways they could have done it in the Marvel Universe, but whatever. So that was cool, just kind of shooting the shit with some people and playing Wii, and, uh, you know, that was pretty much it for us. And I think the next day we went and saw Juno, which was a really good film, I thought. I need to see that movie. I really want to see it. Definitely go see it. It's, it's really good. Um, I'm actually going to see... Uh... Uh, Sweeney Todd tomorrow, so I'm really looking forward to that. Let me know how that is, because I'm a big fan of Sweeney Todd, but I'm and you know I'm a big fan of Burton and Johnny Depp, but I'm a kind of on the fence with this one. So yeah, let me let me we'll know do. what you think. We'll do. So uh, all that out of the way, you want to get to some uh, email here? Yes, I shall. Excellent. And our first email today is from Mike, who is emailed us before. He says, hey guys, it's been a while since I commented on your podcast. I actually fell behind and had several World's Finest podcasts to listen to. I couldn't help notice in your November 28th uh, podcast, you referring to the website. I think you guys should create an archive for the universe and Batman the Animated Series. This archive should reflect the wiki summaries and your reviews slash ratings of each episode. I think the fans would really enjoy this website and if you mold it properly, it can become the main BTAS source on the web. We need one. What do you guys think? Um, first off, I would. This is something I would really like to do, but I just I have not even close to the amount of time it would take to do that right now. 
uh, you know, just with school starting back and everything, my schedule's going to be really screwy for the next, for however, however long. I'm right there with James. You know, uh, there will be a World's Finest website, a World's Finest podcast, excuse me, website uh, soon, question mark? Um, eventually, eventually there will be one. And it will be a place where you can find archived reviews. Um, I have some other ideas that I would like to do for the website. But it becoming this, like, all-encompassing kind of wiki-like thing, I don't know. I mean, a lot of my time and energy really goes into running uh, Earth2.net. So putting in another... I don't know, however many hours per week on another website just isn't something I can see myself doing right now. But there'll be a website with some surprises in the future. I guarantee it. Okay. And our next email is from Chris. He writes, Gentlemen, just a few things about your latest opus. Mike, I agree 100% about the death of Batman fan film. Horrible. <laughs> Bat and the Sun Productions, a father and son team, is not associated with that piece of trash. Their films include Patient J, which you'd like, goes along with some of the multiple choice of the past of the Joker. Uh, and the guy playing the Joker is perfect. Dark Justice, which has a year one feel. Bat, uh, Batman Beyond Year One, which is actually a 45-minute film, but not quite as good as the others. And The Legends, which is a four-minute collection of clips from a project they abandoned. Sandy Calora, who did the Batman Aliens Predator piece, Dead End, also did a five-minute trailer for World's Finest. Well worth checking out. Um, yeah, I, I agree about the death of Batman sucking too, Mike. <laughs> Should we give uh, that link, James? Uh, be my guest. <laughs> okay. Recently, James actually sat down and suffered through the 30-minute abortion that was the death of Batman, and he reviewed it for Earth2.net. So if you guys want to read this review, oh, my God, James, I don't know how you did it, and I really thank you for doing it. But if you guys want to read this review, go to www.earth2.net. That's earth-2.net slash reviews, slash the letter M, so just M, slash the death of Batman. Now, between the death of Batman, between each word, there will be a dash, okay? So it's the dash, death, dash, of dash, Batman. If you didn't have time to write that down, I'll try to remember to post it in the uh, feedback thread for uh, the this episode of WFP. Okay. Oh. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really don't know how I didn't kill myself after watching it. I have to shake <laughs> off the dirtiness. <laughs> Continuing yes, onward, please. Full body shiver. Yes. Uh, anyway, he goes on to say, in The Lion and the Unicorn, there was uh, some debate about calling the bombing of London the Blitz rather than the Blitzkrieg. Blitzkrieg and the Blitz are actually two different things. Blitzkrieg was the German strategy during World War II, consisting of fast attacks to prevent an organized defense, i.e. trying to avoid bogging down in the trenches as in the First World War. The bombing of the UK from September of 1940 to May of 1941 was nicknamed the Blitz in reference to the Blitzkrieg, but it was never actually called the Blitzkrieg. Mm. Red Claw was right. The Blitz is the common name for the bombing campaign. Okay. All right, that works for me. <laughs> As to the wiping of the arms with alcohol before injecting a truth serum, I'll offer a simple explanation. It takes some time and practice to learn to hit a vein consistently, and training as a, a, as a phlebotomist is not hard to come by. Even if he practiced on his buddies rather than formal wiping, they may as well they may well insist that he wipe the arm first. After all, after always learning to clean the arm after making it or before making an injection, doing the same to Alfred and Frederick may simply have been habit. Mm. Okay, but mind you, this isn't the first time we've right. seen this in the DCAU. Uh, what was it? Leslie's doctor friend was wiping her arm before he was going to kill her. 
Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, again, it's like, whatever, whatever. I mean, I understand where he's coming from, but oh, it's still just annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, uh, he writes, according to the governor's speech in Showdown, the year was 1883. The Justice League Unlimited episode with Jonah Hex was set in 1879. The guy sure looked like, um, he looked more than four years older to me, but yeah. maybe he time-traveled and aged more than four years in that time. <laughs> okay, our next one is from Nick. Uh, Hello, Mike. On episode 17, you talked about the rating for Beetlejuice and the film being so vulgar. I got the movie Cool World for Christmas this year. My God, I had forgotten about that movie. <laughs> Watching it now, it's full of sexuality. I thought it was rated R. Looking on the back of the DVD case, I was surprised that it was PG-13, but like James said, the MPAA probably thought that since the majority of the film was a cartoon, just slap a PG rating on it. P.S. Kim Basinger was hot as a doodle. <laughs> anyway, have a happy new year. <laughs> now, I have never, ever, ever seen Cool World. Is is it worth checking out all these years later? I, uh, You know, it's been like... Ten years since I watched it, mm. I have no—I can't even remember hardly anything about it. Oh. So I couldn't tell you one way or another. Okay, well maybe if uh, I ever have the chance to see it, like a real cheap rental, I'll give it a look. But yeah, I don't remember hearing many good things about it though. Yeah, honestly. yeah. I think I remember people just really saying they tried to sex up Roger Rabbit. That's yeah. That's pretty much what yeah. I remember people saying about it. And yeah, but oh well. All right, our next one is from Claire. She writes, Hey, Michael and James, I love your podcast. Thank you. I used to watch the DCAU shows when I was a kid, and this year I got into the shows again. It's amazing how much more I get out of them now that I'm old enough to understand everything. Batman Beyond is my favorite, probably because I'm a teenage girl and a huge Will Friedel fan. I can't wait for your review of it. It's really great to listen to people talk about Batman because I don't know anyone who is into superheroes. My family thinks that I'm really weird, and there's no way I'm telling my friends about it. <laughs> Listening to your podcast is like hearing people speak my native language, if that makes any sense. It does. Indeed does. Mm-hmm. I have to say that I'm also in the camp of people who love the Joker episodes, no matter how bad they may be. The Joker is always having such a good time in everything he does that you can't help but laugh along with him. Uh, as far as that goes, uh, it's... It's not that we we uh, dislike the Joker, of course, because we've always we we've said I don't, I don't know countless times how Mark Hamill just rules the school. Uh, it's just the you know the <laughs> the structure of the episodes, the plots generally just stink. Right. It really. I know we've said this before, but I'm going to reiterate it here. It's really like they said, "Hey, it's the Joker," and they just kind of took it easy because they figured people. I don't know, wouldn't care if the episodes were bad because it was the Joker. I mean, maybe that wasn't what they were doing, but it just seems that way. I mean, some of the laziest episodes, in my opinion, and I know I'm going to get some flack for this, but I don't care, were the Joker episodes, where you'd think those would have been the ones that they took the most care with, considering he's Batman's biggest, baddest villain. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Continues on. Getting into the DCAU, along with the uh, release of Buffy Season 8, has recently dragged me into the comic world, but there are so many different comics to choose from, so I was wondering if you guys could make a list of some really good Batman or Justice League graphic novels and trade paperbacks. I already have your one, The Dark Knight Returns, Identity and Identity Crisis, and I really enjoyed them. Um, now, let's see. We, already responded, we already responded to Claire through email, but I figured we could read off um, the list we sent her to our listeners, just in case there's other people that are in the same boat as her. Okay. So, do you remember the ones that you wrote down, James? Or the ones that you emailed me, I should say? Right. Well, Batman, first and foremost, when I think of uh, 
like Batman trade paperbacks I love is the Long Halloween because it's it it goes in depth with the origin of Two Face and the uh, the holiday killer that that kills a mob uh, mob family member every uh, major holiday of the year for 13 months. Uh, it's really dark, really gritty. It's I just really really digged it. Um, uh, let's see, my as far as Justice League goes, uh, my favorite one I think to date is Tower of Babel. Uh, because it it like shows how Rachel Ghoul really is a a ex- an extremely dangerous person who doesn't just pose a threat to Batman but the entire Justice League because he he what happens is he steals Batman's contingency plans for if the League were to ever turn rogue and he uses them against the League he like actually puts them into all into action at the exact same time he turns. He turns Superman's skin invisible so that uh, radi- the sun's radiation goes directly into his muscles, and he like goes into like an like just overcharge. He's overcharged, and he's he's basically re- about to explode with power. And then you know he does s- similar things to the rest of the league. Like uh, he, the one more the one more exa- other example I'll give is Aquaman. He he uses modified scarecrow toxins to make Aquaman afraid of water, which he needs to live. Yeah. So made, uh... yeah. I remember he made Green Lantern, who was Kyle Rayner at the time, he made him blind. Mm-hmm. Because if he couldn't see his light constructs, then he couldn't use them, I think was the rationale. Um, I don't remember some of the other ones, but yeah. He, some of he, those... made, Fla- yeah, he made Flash have a, a seizure at light speed. Yeah, yeah. So some of them were pretty damn inventive. They really were. So, uh, And it, but the events of that, of that particular storyline sent a rift through the J- the JLA storylines for, like, years. Yeah, I mean, Batman left the league because of it, and when he came back, it was kind of a big deal. So, yeah, yeah, it, it had long-term effects. Um, did you have any more you want to recommend, or should I throw oh. out my list? Oh, go ahead. Um, when it comes to Batman, and I know you and I agree on this one, um, Arkham Asylum, um, mm-hmm. there's actually two Arkham Asylum books. The one we're talking about here is called Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on a Serious Earth. Uh, there's another one, a more recent one, that was written by Dan Slott. That that one's okay, but it's not the one we're looking for. That, at least, that's not the one you should be looking for. It's just, it's deep and dark and takes this whole new look at Batman and his villains. It's, it's just one serious mindfuck. Um, after that, if you like kind of... Uh, modern stories but with a retro sensibility take a look at batman and the mad monk and batman and the monster men they take place in real early batman continuity but they're modern comics they're really good um batman nine lives it's an elseworld story which means it's out of continuity but i dig it i think that one's really good um you're also going to want to look at batman under the hood volumes one and two which Mm -hmm. is the resurrection of jason todd the second robin Grab those. Um, let's see. If you want some honest-to-goodness old-school Batman stories, pick up the Batman Chronicles. Currently, I think there's been four of them. And what these do is is they collect every Batman story, and they put them in chronological order. So, And it goes all the way back to Detective Comics number 27, the first appearance of Batman. Um, for some reason, DC has been really slow to reproduce these. I do not know why, but, uh, they're, they're worth the money. They're not that much. I think they're maybe between 10 and 12 bucks each. Um, and each one contains about 10 comics. Um, so definitely grab those if you want old school Batman. When it comes to the JLA, 
I know I'm, uh, my opinion on this story differs than most everyone else's, but I really liked The Tornado's Path, which was the first storyline in the brand new Justice League series that started uh, a little more than a year ago, probably about 18 months ago. I dug that one. See if you can find that. Um, if you want some fun Justice League books, you're going to want to check out formerly known as the Justice League. And I can't believe it's not the Justice League. Those are really cool. And also, I would suggest Trinity. That's actually called Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman Trinity. It's about the first pairing of all three of those characters. So is that it for the recommendations, then? I'd say so. Okay. I'll, although one more, I guess one more I would say is... Uh... Uh, Batman Detective is written by Paul Dini. It's 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 not uh, it's not as dark as the ones uh, we've been talking about here, but it's really cool. You get to you get to see uh, Bruce really really uh, in in detective mode, and he has to go around with the Riddler and <laughs> figure out some like uh, who solved or like, who committed this crime, and uh, he basically like shows up the Riddler uh, right and left. It's really a fun story to read. <laughs> cool. So. Anyway, she goes on to say, uh, the only suggestion I would make for your podcast would be to put divisions in the episode so that if you haven't seen the episode, you can skip the commentary and not be spoiled. Okay, there is software out there that does allow for me to do that. The problem is, is my understanding of the software is that that only works on iPods. So if you're using like an iRiver or what are some other MP3 devices, Zunes, Creative Zen, Creative Zens, thing like that. Um, I don't think the you can fast forward by just clicking forward and then going through. You'd still have to do scrolling through or whatever. Um, so if it only benefits part of our audience, if if everybody can't take advantage of it, I'm not going to do it. All right. P.S. You guys are probably already aware of this, but Pendant Productions, it's on iTunes, has a really a really good Batman audio drama called Batman: The Ace of Detectives. Hmm. Did you know about that? I don't think I did. I did not. Now, actually, what's funny is uh, I was going through, my dad just sold a bunch of his old CDs uh, and cassette tapes and stuff, and there was a uh, a Batman a Batman story, like a uh, story on tape, and I can't remember what it's called. I have it in my room, but uh, it was like an, like an audio drama, but I don't, I, I remember the story is about he has to go like to Africa, I think, it, and there's like a story like a, like children in slavery, and he has to. I think it's called the ultimate evil or something to that effect. Yeah, it was. That is a story uh, that I believe the government commissioned DC to put together, and it was trying to teach young children, and I believe it was Africa, about uh, how to look out for landmines. Is that's what the whole story's about? So it was in comic form, as you said, it was in audiobook form. It might have even been a novel, but I'm pretty sure that's what that one was about. Okay, our next email is from Eric. He writes, hello guys, love your shows, and it certainly helped me on my reviewing skills. I've become the Siskel and Ebert of my friends, and now it's coming through in the, with the animated shows. First, I must point out some interesting Christmas trivia for you. I watched the George C. Scott version of A Christmas Carol on, on Christmas and noticed a few connections. A few of the actors have been in comic book-related material. Scott, who plays Scrooge, played the ship captain in Spider-Man, the one who shouts, We're going to make it! Susanna York, who plays Mrs. Cratchit, played Laura, Kal-El's mom, in Superman and the theatrical Superman 2. Michael Gow, who plays a businessman of Scrooge's, played Alfred in the 90s Batman movies. And David Warner, who plays Bob Cratchit, played the voice of Rachel Ghoul in the DCAU. Yeah. 
That's kind of interesting. David Warner was Bob Cratchit. I guess so. I yeah. You know, it, it's been so long since I've seen the George C. Scott Christmas Carol. <laughs> yeah. If you've read my post on on the previous podcast, you'll know I'm a Joker. I'm a Joker fan of this show, but his final episode was his worst. I know you two hate Christmas with a Joker, but this was worse. I I kind I may agree with you there. Actually, <laughs> you are so right when you say he has no one-liners. That's why. I, on my post, I put what uh, put that, Rose, that Roseanne wannabe said to uh, Robin. This, since this is the last of the Fox era DCAU, would you mind telling us how you felt over Warner Brothers not providing episode guides in their sets, like with Smallville? I had to make my own. I did with all the DCAU except uh, Batman Beyond, Static Shock, and the Teen Titans, which I still need to get. Now, I don't believe Teen Titans is in continuity, so I never watched more than a few episodes. But when you start re- uh, when you start reviewing them, I will. Is the Zeta project even scheduled to be released? No. If no, I didn't think so either. If I were you, I'd definitely only review the connecting episodes. So on behalf of all the listeners, uh, thank you for that. That was a terrible show. Okay, I want to address this point. The reason we can't skip all of the Zeta project except the ones that directly tie in are because the show is in continuity. I mean... Everything that's animated, we're covering. Good or bad, we're going to suffer through it. Um, I understand, you know, we've gotten a lot of pleas from listeners saying, don't cover Static, don't cover Zeta, and I hope you guys stick with us during that time. But we we got to review it. That's what this show is all about, reviewing everything in the DCAU. It might suck, but it's there. It counts. I mean, if we didn't review the things that sucked, we wouldn't have reviewed the terrible trio. You know, I mean, if, if we sc- if we just cut out everything that stunk, that wouldn't have been covered. The the Moon of the Wolf wouldn't have been covered. There's, I'm sure there's going to be some episodes of Superman and Justice League and Batman Beyond even that stink that we wouldn't have covered if we're only covering the good stuff. So we got to cover it all, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you don't like it. It's just the way it is. <laughs> Remember, people, I do this all the time. It's not. It's it's. It can be very entertaining. Yes. Look at look at the terrible trio. Yeah. That's- <laughs> One of my favorite moments. So. I know I had so much fun reviewing that episode. It was it, it was just ridiculous. <laughs> okay, I also thank you for actually actually oh. watching episodes like Moon of the Wolf and Terrible there Trio. Uh huh. Well, thank you for taking the time to read this. Keep up the good work, and hopefully, in the future, future after you've, you've reviewed all of the DCAU, you'll review the Batman and the Legion of Superheroes. That's years down the line, so we'll see if that happens. Yeah, <laughs> literally yes. years. Yes. Um. Now, let's go back a little uh, in, in his email here. He he mentions something about there not being episode guides in the DVD sets. I don't understand what he's talking about. I'm guessing, like, like for example, uh, the Law & Order uh, DVD sets, those have, like, a little booklet with them that, it, like, gives us uh, a summary of the episodes, the producers, when it when it aired, all, you know, just stuff, little tidbits like that. And they, they don't have those with the... Uh, uh, with the DCAU cartoons. As long as there's a list of episodes, that's all I yeah, care about. I mean, yeah, I mean, and there's always a list of episodes, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Okay, oh. I haven't looked at the Batman Beyond DVDs in a while, so I wasn't sure if those ones had it, but I know the Justice League episodes have it, I know the Superman episodes have it, so... Batman has it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't... I mean, the tidbits are nice, but I don't need them. I mean, really... Just just give me a commentary or two and a list of episodes, and I'm good. Okay. Our next email is from Thomas. He writes, Hey, gang, once more in vitro. To answer your question about the British Secret Services, I imagine there are 
MI1 through 4 is MI standing for military intelligence, but they're not mentioned much. And I have to imagine that they're analogous uh, to, to our own NSA and MPs, etc. MI5 and MI6 have some fame because they're analogous to our FBI and CIA. Incidentally, if you're a fan of the BBC Avengers series, the secret service those characters worked for was unofficially referred to as MI5 and a half because it handled both internal and external affairs. Uh, number two, Harley's Holiday. I have a great fondness for this episode. I consider it the best of the Harley solos, quote-unquote, and loved how the script balances out Harley's lunacy with her genuine niceness and sense of accomplishment. Of course, you forgot to mention my favorite exchange of the dialogue in the story, namely, Oh, look, it's Daddy! No, hun, it's Daddy in a tank! <laughs> That's true, we did forget yeah. to mention that. Oh, that it was a great exchange, though. I suffer from mental illness, and for some reason I giggle like a maniac whenever Harley proudly shows her discharge papers with the big sane written all over them. <laughs> it's the sheer lack of impulse control that under these circumstances endears Harley to me. I do want to mention that the voice actor who played the gangster was the legendary B-movie actor Dick Miller, a mainstay of Roger Corman's various studios, who also appeared as a member of the Gorilla Grodd gang in an episode of 90s Flash. Yeah, you know... When we were speaking about the episode, I meant to bring that up. I didn't know the actor's name. I didn't know that he was a big part of the uh, Roger Corman's films or any of that. But what I wanted to bring up is that I I knew it was the actor who was from uh, Gremlins 1 and 2. Remember, James, you've seen Gremlins, I assume. I've seen the first Gremlins. Okay, remember the old guy who uh, has the snowplow and he mm-hmm. and his wife, it looks like they get killed by the snowplow when the Gremlins are using it? Right. That's him. He was the voice actor up that played the the gangster. Hmm. Yeah, I I knew I recognized his voice, but I didn't know his name. I didn't know any of these other things he did. So I'm glad Thomas wrote in and let us know that. Yep. Number three, lockup. Yeah. Can't stand this episode mainly because of the over the top performance by the otherwise excellent character actor Bruce Whites. Whites pitched in, uh, pitches the performance so at eleven that it's impossible to imagine anyone willingly giving giving Bolton the commission. And that silly, let me activate my smoke-emitting presto changeo briefcase was pretty hard to take. <laughs> yeah. Number four, make him laugh. Not only was the character referred to as Mighty Mom in the dialogue and Rolling Pin in the credits patterned after Roseanne Barr, but the Condiment King is patterned after Tim Allen. I'm sure Packrat is supposed to be someone as well, but I'll be damned if I can figure it out. I want to say he's based loosely on the George Costanza character played by Jason Alexander in Seinfeld, but I can't be sure. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, too, too uh, neurotic. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, but outside of the good vocal performances by Martin, Jenny, and Schaub, you're right. It's a wretched episode that pretty much dies after the Condiment King scene, <laughs> which is what three minutes. <laughs> yeah, and I would, you know, I'd venture to say that it was never alive in the first place. Yeah, I mean, really, the the best part of the episode is Batman punching him in the gut and telling him to what's he say, quiet or shut up or something. Quiet, yeah, yeah. And, or and, and the the ape, the dispatch saying. Describing the Comet King and Batman saying it's going to be one of those. Yeah, nights. I mean that's that's like the best part or parts of that episode. Everything else is just really ho hum. <laughs> and Deep Freeze. I'm pretty positive that this was the only time Freeze showed up between Heart of Ice and Sub Zero movie. Yes, we we have we've established that yeah. now. We know that that there were only two Mister Freeze episodes. Yeah. Amazingly. Better than some of the other episodes in, in the Adventures of Batman and Robin phase of the series, but still not exceptional for me. I think that's it, and I have to agree with James on some level. Batman Return, Batgirl Returns, uh, Blue. 
And our last email today is from Mike again. He writes, hey, guys, love the show, but I'll, I'll miss the reviews of BTAS. It is my favorite uh, favorite show. Here's a question for the both of you. Overall, which of the three seasons of BTAS is the best? Obviously, it's an opinion question, but please back up your statements with facts. Thanks, Mike. Uh, well, let's see. I'm just, I guess we're... Uh, and we're, when we're talking about seasons, we're talking about like the uh, the DV, if we're, like we can use them by the DVD divisions. Yeah, we have to do like that season because, one, season two, and season three. Because otherwise, it doesn't work. Because remember, we reviewed these in production order, and that's exactly how they put them on the DVDs. We didn't do these right. in actual seasons because remember, uh, there's that half season where there were what four right. or five episodes. So yeah, we'll have to look at the DVD sets. James, what do you think about this one? Off the top of my head. Uh, God, it's you know I really might just have to go back and look at the DVDs, mm-hmm. the, the, look at the sets, and just look at the ep- look over the episodes, and I'll be able to remember which episodes I liked and which ones I didn't, and then I can give a better opinion. I guess if I were to just uh, off the top of my head, not knowing anything uh, about which uh, episodes are in which season, maybe season three. Mm. I, I'm not you know because it has it has. Uh, Riddler's Reform and Harley's Holiday and uh, Baby Doll, all three episodes I loved, but you know, but maybe that's because it's so fresh in my head because we've been reviewing those the season three episodes. Yeah, for me, I think I'm gonna have to come back to this one. I think. In yes, our next we're episode, both going to have to. I mean, think about it. Our next episode is our uh, look back retrospective, our retrospective of World's Finest Podcast so far. Look back at Batman the Animated Series. So we'll address it then. I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of which, that's a great segue. Funny how yes. things work out. <laughs> um, what we need from you guys, our listeners, is we need you to send in, to email in, your favorite moments of World's Finest Podcast so far. That includes the episode you're hearing right now. So the, from the episode 1 through 19, we need you to email us your favorite moments Again, not from Batman the Animated Series, but of us, of us reviewing episodes. You know, funny things we said, or just whatever. Email these things in, and remember, our email address is feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. And we'll be sure to read your thoughts on the air um, in the next episode. So when it comes to those things that you guys are going to send in to us, we need to receive them by the 19th of January. They cannot come in any later than that. If they come in later, they're just not going to be right on the show. It's that plain and simple. So, yeah, make sure you get those things in. And also in that episode, that's when James and I are going to sit down and look back at some of the episodes that we think need to be rescored. We're not going to give them full reviews. Like we, I mean, we've already given them full reviews. We're just going to decide, you know, did this episode deserve the crappy score we gave it or did this episode deserve... The, the glowing review we gave it, and we're going to tweak our scores accordingly. And I believe we're each choosing five episodes, James? Yes, we've each cho- uh, we've each chosen five episodes. No, you've chosen uh, five. I haven't chosen five yet. Well, well, <laughs> yeah, well uh, I know for a fact that three of them are ones that I, I felt I should have graded higher, two are, are ones that I felt I should have graded lower. So that's all I'll tell you about that.
Today on World's Finest Podcast, we are reviewing the much lesser known of the Batman movies, Batman and Mr. Freeze, Sub-Zero. In this movie, Mr. Freeze is has basically just started living a caveman's life in the Arctic, where he keeps he still keeps uh, you know, a, a vigilant eye over uh, his uh, over Nora Freeze in, in her containment uh, chamber. Um, but now he has uh, like an adopted plot device. Excuse me, son uh, <laughs> Kunak and uh, two pet polar bears. Now, what happens here is a submarine, uh, just, I guess the submarine was just on, like, uh, just doing a search. It wasn't, like, on a specific mission, was it? They never say what that sub was doing there, you know, and they never come back to it. No. I mean, after Freeze does what he does to that crew, you think the military, I think it was a U.S. submarine, you think the U.S. Oh, it was definitely U.S. submarine. Okay, you'd think the U.S. you know Navy would be like hunting the hell out of Mister Freeze for what he did, but it just disappears and it's completely forgotten about. So, if you want to talk about a plot device? That was a bigger one than the little Eskimo boy. But that's oh well. Yeah, yeah. But, it was so just anyway. It was, it was <laughs> just meant to get the story rolling, really, to get Freeze back to Gotham. And and make, you know basically make him don the suit of the freeze suit again. Because mm-hmm. I, so, I, I don't mean to interrupt you here, but I really liked that that he was living that he was living in the uh, Sub Zero environment without the suit. I liked knowing that Mister Freeze could live a quote unquote normal life outside of the suit if he just um, decided you know what I, I I can't be part of civilization anymore because he didn't want to be part of civilization anyways. And he could actually take that suit off and walk around and swim in the waters and touch things if he wanted to. So I really did appreciate that aspect of it. Yeah, I did too. And I liked how the when he comes out of the water, the water instantly freezes and cracks off of his skin. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was neat, yeah. So, but anyway, what uh, after Freeze uh, dons the suit again and murders the entire crew, and he clearly does murder them. Oh, absolutely. Uh we're shown uh, Gotham City two weeks later, where Bruce and Dick are invited to a uh, party at, at some manor. I can't remember whose is. Maybe it's Veronica Vreeland's. I'm not sure. It could have been because uh, she was there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, during this during this thing, there's uh, a guest there, do- uh, Doctor Doctor Gregory Belson, I believe is his name. Yes. And he's arguing with his stockbroker because he's having some really bad financial problems. And after his stockbroker says, "Look, you're screwed." Uh, he just leaves the party and, like, just squeals his car out of there. Uh, and on, the, on his way home, he runs over a gigantic sheet of ice and is confronted by his old friend, Victor Freeze. So they, he takes him back to his hideout in the Arctic where uh, Nora is basically in a, in a bed fighting for her life because her uh, disease has relapsed. Oh, we should note that the reason... We, we didn't mention why Victor killed everybody uh, on the sub. That's true. Her chamber uh, was destroyed when the submarine burst up through the bottom of uh, Freeze's cave. Right. So that's why he has to come back to Gotham to get uh, Belson. Exactly. Um, because Belson's specialty is cryogenics. Uh, and Belson tells him about how the uh, disease has relapsed and that she has only two weeks to live. And he says he really can't do anything about it, but 
Freeze presents him with this nugget of gold and since and promises him a lot more because he says there's a vein below the Arctic that he's discovered. So his eyes light up and he says, all right, well, let's basically get a, an organ transplant from somebody who matches Nora Freeze's blood type. And that person just happens to be Barbara Gordon. Right, because at first the doctor wants to do the right thing and get a transplant from someone who's about to die. Or is or, dead. Or is dead, right. But there's no one that matches Nora's blood type, very rare blood type. So then they decide, well, if this is going to happen, we have to use someone who's living. And as you just said, that happens. To, there's there's 18 potential matches. Well, 17 if you take Nora off the list. And they just happen to settle upon Barbara Gordon. And, you know, I took great issue with this because never, not once, does Belson, now I don't expect Freeze to worry about it, but never, not once, does Belson worry that this is the commissioner's daughter. Yeah, and that's 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 one big gripe I have about this movie, is neither of these two guys know who Barbara Gordon is. Right, like I said, with Freeze, it doesn't matter. He's going to do and kill whatever, whatever he yeah. has to, you know. But this guy, no matter how much money trouble he's in, I, I didn't believe that he wouldn't kind of flinch at her last name. Even if he didn't know the commissioner had a daughter named Barbara, he still knows the commissioner is Gordon, and this girl's last name is Gordon. One plus one equals two. This has to be his daughter, or some relation, and you shouldn't fuck with that. So that was irksome, yes. Barbara and Dick are at the party, and they're kind of schmoozing and flirting and dancing. And uh, Dick invites uh, Barbara up to, uh, what was it, uh, up to the mountains for the weekend, or... Yeah, some, some, kind of, some kind of getaway, yeah. basically, for the weekend. Um, and before they do, before they leave Gotham, uh, they're at a, a jazz club, and Freeze bursts onto the scene, captures Barbara, and takes her back to the uh, back to his Arctic hideout. And, of course, Dick tries to stop him unsuccessfully. Um, but then... Uh, is that that's pretty much it as far as the story goes? Because now you know from then on, uh, Batman and Robin have to track down Freeze mm. and Belson. Right, and Barbara's constantly trying to escape the mm-hmm. oil rig that they're holding her hostage on, and yeah, that's it. Story wise, it just goes into a giant uh, action picture after that. I guess the first thing I noticed about this movie was Danny Elfman's strikes. <laughs> With the the, bat, the old Batman movie music, yeah, yeah, which I thought was kind of cool because I really like that music, and I can't as much as you can criticize a lot of the things that Tim Burton did with that series. <coughs> uh, Danny Elfman's music was brilliant. Yes, it was. So I liked that little touch there, and uh, it was it was kind of a abrupt ending to it with the way they did it with the the freeze Sub Zero title coming onto the screen and shattering. I thought that was really cool too. Mm-hmm. Um. But the one right into the first scene, I have. There's something I have to wonder. Uh, ice doesn't sink. <laughs> the when the polar bears like jump through the ice or whatever happened there, a uh, bunch of sheets of ice broke off and sunk into the water. Ice doesn't sink. <laughs> that, and I'm I being a huge nerd. I'm not being a huge. I know I'm being a huge nerd there, but you know, it, it's just ice doesn't sink in water. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but. Uh, uh, that aside, uh, does can Freeze ever catch a break? This guy no. is the most unlucky, just unlucky case 
of a human being alive, if you can call him a human being anymore. Right, yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, his life just sucks. From the moment his wife became ill, everything was just downhill for this guy. And you can, okay, I mean, sure, he's trying to kill someone to save someone. That's shady. I'm not saying it's not, but you can still see where he's coming from. He wants to save the woman he loves, and he figures, hey, the world is shit on me, so I'm going to shit on them and take someone from it to save the one person who didn't shit on me. I mean, you can totally see where he's coming from, even if you don't agree with what he's doing you can still see his point of view to a certain extent i think oh yeah and with Nora's hands sticking out of the ice oh. crinkled up oh my god that i can i i was i was just wanting to see him put the suit on right there yeah yeah i was really hoping they showed you in silhouette even him putting the helmet on sort of like um i don't know what was the episode where we saw in uh, not episode. It was in uh, what do you call it? When we talk about it was in Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah, Mask of the Phantasm. Where you see Bruce in silhouette putting the costume on. They could have mimicked that exact scene right there with Mister Freeze, and then which, you know would have added what thirty seconds to the total runtime. So they really could have done it. And then you see him go after the submarine crew. Um. But whatever. I mean, I don't think it hurt the 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 film for it not being in there. It just would have been a cool moment and nod to Mask of the Phantasm had they done it that way. Yeah, now, exactly. The first thing I noticed about this movie was the coloring. Because in the opening scene, we've got all these kind of calm, soft blues, with Mr. Freeze being underwater and in his cave. Then they cut to the very harsh, sharp reds in the submarine. Mm-hmm. And they keep going back and forth. And I like that a lot because, you know, the blues are meant to imply that Mr. Freeze has finally found this peaceful life. Tranquility. Right, exactly. And now here comes, you know, anger and rage. It's going to come back into his life. And that's that's what the reds are meant to represent. I mean, I love that. I, I just, it was, even if that's not what they intended, and I'm sure it is because these you know, our master storytellers, and they know what they're doing when it comes to, you know, something as, quote-unquote, simple as colors. Um, just, just, oh, it's it's just, it's just awesome cinematography is really what it is. Yeah. It's, uh, it's stunning filmmaking when, when you actually think about just the symbolism of the colors when they come crashing together. <laughs> Couldn't have said it any better myself. Mm-hmm. And in that opening scene... When Victor is talking to Nora before the submarine crashes through and her chamber topples over and cracks, there's actually a hint of warmth, a hint of emotion to his voice. I mean, it's still kind of got that Mr. Freeze-ness to it. Of course, it doesn't sound as robotic because he is out of his containment suit. But this is the first time where we've, first time in a long time, I think, where we've really heard him being somewhat emotional. You know, because even when we heard it in the, what was it, Heart of Ice, the very first episode with Mr. Freeze, mm-hmm. you know, and he's talking about Nora and he's looking at the music box, there's a there's sort of some emotion to it, but it's still robotic and cold. But here there's more emotion to it, I felt. But still, it's very subtle. You have to listen for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, again, his life hasn't been ruined yet. So that that's why it's there. And then after that, bang, it's all gone. Yeah. But then we have... Like we talked about earlier, the major problem in this 
scene is the plot devices. They're just they're just there, and and you you, you have to take off for that because they're just you can't have free uh, Mister Freeze basically being reborn more or less, and him murdering a couple dozen. Uh, Military officers, I guess they're naval officers. They have to be. Yeah. And didn't have it never brought up again. Right now, I've never seen this. Was the first time I had seen this. Okay, so mm. I really thought that the whole point of this was going to be. I, I had no idea there was going to be this transfusion with, or this this transplant with Barbara's organs or any of that. I thought the military was going to start investigating this missing sub, and Batman was going to get involved, so Batman has to go up into the Arctic, and we get, you know, some Batman-Mr. Freeze fights up in, you know, sub-zero temperatures. This is what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. And then they go into this whole transplant storyline, and I'm like, wait, what happened to the sub? You can't tell me that the U.S. military forgot about a sub. No, they're going to storm Gotham City and nuke the hell out of this freak in this refrigerator suit. I mean... It's really irksome that it never came back up. Well, and I, can, I mean, can you imagine Batman versus Mister Freeze versus the uh, versus the Navy, with Batman stuck in between the two? Mm-hmm. I mean, where he wants to stop Freeze, but he also needs to stop the Navy from killing Freeze because of how he feels about murder. I mean, like that would have been so freaking cool, but they just went this whole other direction. Yeah. And I need to correct myself earlier when I said they were taking, they were taking Gordon back to the Arctic uh, hideout. They were actually taking her to an abandoned oil rig, which mm. I have a problem with later. But we'll get to that later. Okay. Um, yeah, just want to correct myself there. Okay. Um, but in you know the before we see Bruce and Dick at the party, uh, we have these these two uh, goons robbing a jewelry shop. Um, this the setup to this was kind of confusing to me, and here's why: this guy is walking along the street, and he comes across this jewelry shop, and he almost seems surprised to see all these jewels in this in this window, mm-hmm. and it and it seems like spur of the moment he decides to break the window, and he he does, he, he breaks the window, he goes in there, beats up the old guy who owns the shop, takes a bunch of jewels, and all of a sudden this getaway car drives up next to the building. It's like, okay, so he was. He, this was just something he decided to do, yet he had a guy ready to drive him away. It was really not a, a very very shoddily put together characterization there. Yeah, I'm glad you caught that too, because I was, I was also confused by that. Because you're right, he's walking by, he's just drinking his beer, he's got the bottle in his hand. He's like, hmm, smash. Come on, guy, we got to go. Like, wait, where'd you come from? Yeah. You know, it's like, what, did you just, were you, are you this guy's buddy and you just happened to be driving by and you thought you'd save his ass? What? It just, it made no <laughs> Yet another sense. plot device. <laughs> I was going to say, as as bad as that setup was, the the ending of it was great with Batman, uh, with the guy poking Batman's cape and then all of a sudden, whoosh, yeah. it's Batman. <laughs> and then, and it, even better, they make them afraid of Robin. You never see yeah. people scared of Robin. Sure, they, people are always scared of Batman because look at him. But but not so much Robin. I thought it was kind of cool for him to be like, don't hurt me! Yeah, Robin in this opening fight was pretty damn rough and dark. I mean, he picks one of the crooks up and just throws him like 10 feet into this pile of trash on top of his buddy. Mm-hmm. And they end up bonking heads. I mean, normally Robin is the more fun fighter. I mean, we just spoke about this in the last episode of World's Finest Podcast where he was making fish in the nunchucks, you know? <laughs> That's his style of fighting, and here 
he's just picking up crooks and whipping them around as his mentor does. So it was cool seeing a total different side of him. And to be honest, throughout this whole um, movie here, they really go to great lengths to portray Robin slash Dick Grayson as a true badass. Oh, yes. I mean, we'll get into some more of his badassery down the line, but as a unabashed Dick Grayson Nightwing mark, I loved, absolutely loved seeing Robin just go, you know, insane in terms of action and intensity while trying to save his girlfriend. Yeah, if there was anything this movie did right, it was that. Right, it was I mean, Robin's characterization. Yeah, I mean, this was more of a Batgirl movie or Barbara Gordon movie, and it was also more of a Robin slash Dick Grayson movie than it was even a Batman thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Batman's in it. It's not like you know Batgirl Returns where he's in it for all of thirty seconds. Um, you know, this this is a Batman movie. He is in it, but really, it's. More Robin and more Barbara than even Batman, I think. So, I, I mean, and I, I did appreciate that. I really honestly did, because any chance, excuse me, any time we get to see Dick Grayson just be a total badass, I'm right there clapping my hands saying, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, now, going back to the scene where the crooks uh, are being roughed up, did you happen to notice that when Robin, okay, there was the one that was crawling away, and crawling away, and Robin shot the grapple at him, it wrapped around his feet, knocked him on the ground, and Robin pushed the button to rec- to pull him towards him. Did you happen to notice that when the crook, crook uh, was trying to uh, stop himself from being pulled in, he was, he was scraping, the, scraping ground, the pavement, yeah, leaving nail marks in the pavement? I was like, really in pavement? Was this just laid? Especially because he was wearing gloves, and he was wearing gloves, too. Oh, I didn't even notice that, was he? (laughs) Yeah, he was. Uh. He was clearly wearing gloves. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that that made no sense to me at all. Yeah, it was a little weird. I'm like, okay, if this were the snow or grass, fine, but it's pavement. Like, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Well, clearly he has adamantium fingernails. Oh, there you go, there you go. This is Wolverine's son. (laughs) And then the next scene after... uh, when we get to the, we actually get to the manor and the party scene, and uh, Bruce and Dick and uh, Jim Gordon are all schmoozing, and we cut to Batgirl kicking some guy's ass, a couple of guys' asses in the park who are harassing this, you know, this poor jogger girl. We get another crotch kick. <laughs> oh, and this one is totally blatant. It isn't like mm-hmm. an underneath shot or from behind, and then you see the guy wince. I mean, she kicks him right in the balls, like. Mm-hmm. There's that that isn't hidden at all. It's just like chur pow right in the dick. Like whoa. And you know what? And I'm gonna keep keep count of this because we have we have this happen in Fan, in the Mask of the Phantasm, we have it happen in Sub Zero, it's it happens in Return of the Joker and mm-hmm. Batman Beyond. I'm not sure if it happens in Mystery of the Batwoman though. And yeah. since we're since we will review that down the line, I need to go and check and see if that there's if there's a crotch pounding in that episode too. Or in that movie also. Yeah. Because that might be like a little running gag. <laughs> it could be. It could be. But I know what happens in at least three of the four. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, while we're talking about the, um, the the scene, the party at the at the manor, I have I have two things I want to bring up. The first is that Dick Grayson slash Robin in the opening scenes, not so much the back half of the movie, but in these opening scenes, seems much thicker and even larger. Than so does Bruce. I, Bruce does too. The thing is, Bruce seemed a little shorter 
but thicker, and mm-hmm. Dick seemed just thicker and larger than he should be. I mean, he's sure he works out and he's a fit guy, but he should never be that bulky. I mean, look at him in uh, Gotham Knights. That's the way Dick Grayson should be, very mm-hmm. streamlined. And, I mean, he was... He wasn't that streamlined in Batman the Animated Series, and of course this is still in that style, so I understand why he isn't as streamlined as he is later on, that's fine. But to make him larger just didn't work for me. It seemed a little off-model. Now the other thing I wanted to bring up at this manor scene is Veronica Vreeland. Since when is she a blonde? Exactly. I thought she was a ginger. Yeah, when Bruce said Ronnie, and I was like, Ronnie, who is Ronnie? I know... I I, knew, I remembered I didn't remember that that was the nickname that he had yeah. for Veronica Vreeland, and I was like Ronnie, what episode was she in her episodes? And then I thought Veronica Vreeland, oh my God, she's wait a minute, she's blonde. <laughs> that's that's exactly what my thought process was. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if they did that because Barbara's a redhead and they didn't want to confuse matters. Maybe that was it. I mean, because when she comes in, you know, her hair is all done up, she's looking gorgeous. So I'm like, okay, I just have to assume that they didn't want to make us think that was Veronica. But we'd be pretty stupid to think it was Veronica because they call her Barbara in Babs. So it's clearly not Veronica, but whatever. I don't know. I mean, sure, you can just say she dyed her hair. But, you know, since she's an established character and they've changed her design, mention it. How hard is it to write? How hard is it to write one line where Bruce says, "Oh, I love what you've done with your hair." Yeah. Bang. Now we understand why her hair is different. You know. So, but anyways, did Barbara have a new voice actress for this? Yeah, Mary Kay Bergman. Now, does she do the Gotham Knight stuff, or is this it that she does? I want to say she does. Is this it for her? I should say. No, I want to say that Mary Kay Bergman does do the. Uh, Gotham Knight stuff, but I don't know off the top of my head. Because it was annoying. Was it? I couldn't stand it. I mean, I, I liked it. I liked her better than the last voice actress. I'm sorry. See, I mean, it wasn't great, but I did like her better because I made a note about that. I was like, you know, her voice is a lot better than it was in the, in the first episode that we in Shadow of the Bat when we first were introduced to her. That her voice just annoyed me in that episode. See, because in Gotham Knights, I remember. Liking it now. When we get to those reviews somewhere down the line, maybe I'll look at or listen to it and go, "Ooh, why did I like this when I was younger?" You know, um, <laughs> but I didn't mind it in that show. And here, it just—I don't know—it was jarring having this new voice, and I just—I I don't know. There's something about it. I just—it wasn't working for me. It was just really annoying. I mean, by the end, I got used to it, but. It's still, I don't know, it's just something about it was wrong for me. I'll tell you what I thought when I first heard her voice. Uh, I thought it was Stan Marsh's mother from South Park because yeah. she does her voice. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Oh, wait, I'm not watching South Park. <laughs> <laughs> but you now speaking of uh, Veronica Vreeland, uh, go back to that. This, this movie had some major lip-syncing problems, and... Veronica got it the worst here, because when she's first introduced and she walks up to Bruce, her mouth never moves, and yet she's speaking perfect sentences. Oh, I didn't even notice that, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I seriously thought I was watching an English-dubbed anime. Wow. <laughs> Where just, like, people can just not be not move their mouths at all, yet perfect perfect sentences just flow out. Huh. But yeah, her mouth never, on the onset, when she's walking up to Bruce, her mouth never moves, and yet she's speaking a per- perfect coherent sentences. 
and this there's some slight mis- uh, lip syncing problems basically littered throughout this movie though. So it wasn't just there. That was just the big one. Yeah, I noticed a, a few times that there were lip syncing problems, but somehow the one with Veronica just went right over my head. From there, I believe we. Oh yeah, this this were yeah we're introduced to uh, Gregory Belson, the doctor. Right. And uh, you know this is where he uh, starts yelling at his stockbroker. The stockbroker's like, "Well, you got your ass into this fire, so you got to get yourself out of this mess." Mm-hmm. And uh, two and a half million dollars in debt. Yeah, so that kind of puts he... my car problems to shame. <laughs> it does, doesn't <laughs> it? So yeah, so he storms off and bumps into his old colleague Freeze, and Freeze says, "You have to help me, or else I'm going to stick this gun in your mouth and pull the trigger." Basically, mm-hmm. um, and it's revealed that Nora's condition can be cured with a transplant. Now, this has never been established before. She, we don't even know what she has. Right. She has some form of cancer, I believe. I think that said somewhere. Maybe I'm I making it I don't it even up, remember that. But I thought I really it was said somewhere. But regardless of what it is, it's always been she has an incurable disease. Now, all of a sudden, oh, it can be cured if we can find someone with the specific organ that she needs. They never say what the organ is, either. Yep. So I didn't like that, they, that that came out of left field because... Victor would have known that, that a transplant could save her life, and that would have been his agenda all along. I mean, he would have, like, let's say it was a heart transplant, he would have ripped out Boyle's heart if he needed to, you know? Yeah. He would have, you know, when we saw him in, um, what was it, Deep Freeze? With, uh, right. Yeah, with the evil Walt Disney guy. You know, he would have been searching that entire... Uh, crew's mana, the, the entire uh, manifest to see if anybody on the crew had the right blood type, and then he would have ripped their heart out. I mean, so this just comes out of left field, and it was so weird. Like, okay, she can be cured now, whatever. Yeah, well, it's and the fact that it was so simple is what makes it worse. The, the you know is what makes it so bad. Right. It, I don't mind. I don't mind an out of left field explanation if it's something that's really just difficult, something you'd never really think about. Mm-hmm. Like, like Freeze would have to go on this this horrendous journey over three or four continents gathering all kinds of materials and stuff. No, this is just an organ transplant. Yeah. It's just so simple. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it so bad. Yeah. Yeah, and then, of course, this is where we also find out that Barbara is uh, a blood donor, I guess, and mm-hmm. she's been screened, and she has the uh, blood type, the rare blood type that Nora also has, Um now, there was a funny little thing. Uh, did you happen to look at the computer screen when they pulled up Barbara's uh, file? You mean just looked at Barbara's file? Yeah, when they pulled, when they okay, they pulled on the computer screen. They have the list of donors, all right. right. And um, when they click on Barbara, this whole new screen comes up with different uh, entry fields, like the doctor's name, her weight, her age, things like that. Did you happen to notice that one of the fields was for an HIV screening? I did not. Yeah, right above her doctor. So it's the second to last thing on the left-hand side. It says HIV screen, negative. So obviously she's clear. She doesn't have the HIV virus. But I'm like, oh, my God, that seemed very – it was a very mature thing to throw in there. They could have thrown anything in there. I mean, they could have thrown – I don't know, like – Hepatitis? I don't know, something. Yeah, exactly. You know, just – but to have HIV, I was like, wow, they they went a mature route. And I kind of, I appreciated that. You know, whenever they try to be a little more mature, 
even in yeah. subtle ways like that, I applaud them because it does, again, establish that this isn't necessarily a children's cartoon, despite the fact that it is a cartoon. It doesn't mean it's necessarily for younger viewers. Now, younger viewers aren't going to catch that. It's, you know, the, 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 the adult audience who's most likely going to catch that. But still, it's, it's in there, so that does make it mm-hmm. more mature. I'd say the one the thing I noticed on the screens were the, the area codes and the zip codes mm-hmm. were all new all actual New York City codes. Right. But but that confused me because I was always I've always been under the impression that Gotham City is supposed to be in New Jersey, not New York. Right. Because I thought Metropolis was supposed to be New York. Right. In Joker's favor, when he looks at when the Joker looks at Charlie's um, driver's license, pardon me, didn't it say he was from Gotham Heights, New Jersey? Yeah. Yeah. So. They change it around all the time. I think in the comic they might even change it from time to time. You know, it's so hard because I believe the DC Universe even has a New York City. So they have Metropolis, New York City, and uh, Gotham City. And they're all supposed to be, what, in the same general region? Really? You know, it's confusing. So I think even they forget where it's supposed to be. But you're right, every uh, zip code and anytime we see it, it does say Gotham New York, and every zip code is an East Coast or New York zip code. So, what are you gonna do? You know, they 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 fucked up basically. <laughs> yeah, I do have a. I know I don't mean to go back about five minutes in the movie, but I needed to ask something here. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, Belson crashes his car into the ice, you know, he crashes his car, and we go to, we go on a, f- a few minutes later. Alfred and Bruce are driving along the street. And there's just huge puddles of water everywhere. I was under the impression that Freeze's ice doesn't melt just in out in the open like that. Because well, I mean, he, he freezes these he freezes people, and that's it. After 20 minutes, you're frozen solid permanently. Well, okay. Here's what I think's going on. Okay, before Belson hits that patch of ice, he hears on the radio that it's like 90 degrees, and it's like late at night, and it's still 90 degrees. So that's telling you how scorching this summer is in Gotham City. So I think that the ice, because we don't, we really don't know if it's five minutes later, really. Mm-hmm. It, it could have been a half an hour, or even an hour. But even if it is five minutes, that's showing you how hot it is in Gotham, that this ice is melting right away. So I didn't mind that. Now, when it comes to freeze blasting people, you have to think that these people, their limbs are being instantly frozen. So, really, if you don't get them out of those blocks of ice, even if they're not fully head-to-toe, okay? Like, you know how he's, right. const- he's constantly shooting Robin. I mean, I think Robin, didn't Robin get frozen at least twice by Freeze? I know he did in... During, the, during BTAS? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Okay, I know he did at least once, and I want to say there was one other time as well. Um, but regardless, let's say it was just one time. We'll go with Robin. He just freezes a limb or two. Okay, if you don't get, if you don't unfreeze that right away, he's going to have permanent frostbite to the point where you may have to amputate the limbs. And if it goes above the waist, then you're really fucked. Because oh no, I'm yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. I know, I'm saying what I'm saying is the blocks of ice. I was under the impression don't. Just permanently freeze and stay frozen basically forever. I don't know where you got that idea. I don't. I I, I think I was in the comics. Maybe because okay, here you go. If if he freezes someone from head to toe, they're fucked. They're dead. Yeah, they're dead. They're but, dead. I completely agree. But he's only done that in the actual cartoon. He really. I don't remember him ever freezing anybody head to toe in the cartoon. Did he? Mm, no, because he only freezes Boyle up to his waist. Right, and I know he gets. 
uh, the, he freezes his one crook. Remember his, the, the one guy that Batman saves? I think he accidentally gets shot in the leg or something. Remember Batman takes the one guy back to the cave and puts right. him in the, in the back to tank, basically? Mm-hmm. Um, I think he gets shot in the leg. I'm trying to think if anybody else got a full body freeze and lived. Or if there was anybody that got a full body freeze at all. So anyways, those people are dead. A limb, I think you can thaw them out if you can do it quickly. But when it comes to just the blocks of ice, no, they, they have to... I think they have to melt eventually because it's just ice. It's not some sort of magic ice, you know? I mean... Mm. I don't know. I, see, I think I read that it was, like, chemically enhanced or something in, in the comics, but I don't know. It was a long time ago, so maybe I'm just mistaken. I don't know. I mean, I, I just always assumed it did melt after a while. Um, and maybe it did require some sort of special treatment to speed it along, hence the reason the crook that Batman saves was put in that uh, tank. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it requires a special chemical bath to, to save those people, but it would still melt if put under uh, intense heat, hence the reason that huge puddle was formed uh, sometime later in the 90-degree heat. It just took a little while. I don't know. It, it, wasn't a, it wasn't anything that caught my ire. Okay. Well, anyway, getting back to the uh, story here, we, back at the... Uh the manor. I liked how they had an actual, uh, an actual song in the in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. I only have eyes for you by the flamingos yeah. in the background while they're on the while uh, uh, Barbara and, and Dick are on the uh, the balcony out there and that's playing in the background. I thought that was real, a really, it was a nice touch. Mm-hmm. So I had to throw that in there because I know that comes before they the before Alfred and Bruce drive into the puddle. Yeah, just had to give them props for that. That was kind of cool. Yeah, because it, it helps set it in a more realistic world. Because, mm-hmm. you know, jazz really isn't going to be playing everywhere. Because jazz is always seems to be the background music they choose in this show. And Well, in nightclubs, definitely. Yeah, and here it was, a, you know, just a softer song. And like I said, it helps ground it, I think, a little. This is about the point where they go to the uh, swing club, right? Dick and right. the Fabs. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, so Mr. Freeze just bursts in with his uh, polar bears. Why did he bring the polar bears? <laughs> to and, keep and, the crowd off of them? No, no, I don't no, no, know. no. I don't, even mean, I, don't know. I don't even mean to the club. I mean, why did he bring them from the Arctic to Gotham? I mean, what's what's with that? I just, I didn't understand why he let the polar bears tag along. I mean... Should we, should we coin a new phrase, freeze logic? Maybe. <laughs> we may have to, because... Freeze has had goons in the past. We just spoke about him. He's had a gang before. He's not opposed to using, you know, thugs. So I just didn't get why we had to have some polar bears walking around Gotham City. Um, It didn't really irk me. It just kind of confused me a little. But anyways, this was another scene uh, where we get to see Dick, not Robin, but Dick, be a badass. I mean, he's jumping on tables, drop-kicking Freeze, fighting polar bears the best he can as Dick Grayson. He, at this moment, he doesn't care if people question his athletic ability mm-hmm. and his fighting skills. Because they should never question his athletic ability, honestly, because he was an acrobat. He an probably acrobat, kept up exactly. doing that. But his fighting skills, they should definitely call into question. And he doesn't give a shit. Because Mr. Freeze is trying to steal his fucking girlfriend, and that can't be good news. So he's just going to kick ass the only way he knows how, and he's not going to do it subtly like Bruce does. He's going to do it out in the open. And 
Batman has trouble fighting Freeze, so Dick is, you know, obviously going to have major trouble fighting Freeze, and he gets his ass handed to him, but he did a, I think he did a good job holding his own for a little while, so again, I, I really did appreciate that. Yeah, I, I kind of question how he was able to tackle Freeze in that humongously heavy suit, but at the same time, it, it really was very cool to watch. Now, I, what I wish they had done is, there's one scene, or one, excuse me, one part in that scene where uh, Dick is about to, like, lay into Freeze's helmet with his fists. <laughs> I really wish they'd allowed him to get a punch off just so it would hurt him so badly that his knuckles bled. <laughs> Wouldn't that not have been really cool to no, watch? You're right. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where Dick just wasn't thinking. He was going into a blind rage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have been neat if he did throw that punch. I mean, that's happened to Batman before, not necessarily in the cartoon, but in the comic, in... Um, a Death in the Family, the storyline where Jason Todd died, uh, Batman is just pissed, and he throws mm-hmm. a punch at Superman. Superman. At Superman, and Superman basically says, hey, if I didn't go with the, if I didn't uh, turn roll my, with the, roll punch, with the punch, thank you, your hand would be shattered. You'd be, that hand would be gone. You, you couldn't use it anymore. You couldn't be Batman anymore. And that's sort of what happens here to Dick. You know, he's going to throw a punch on this suit that there, he has no chance of cracking with his bare hand. Um, so, yeah, it would have been cool if he got a little bloodied from it, but... Yeah, it was, but it was still... That was just me wishing for more. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. But it was still a very very neat little fight scene. Mm. Especially because he was fighting him in a in basically a, a, a three-piece suit with spats and everything yeah. on <laughs> Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, again, Dick Grayson, not Robin. I mean, that's why I really like this, um, because you know, you know, if this would have happened to Bruce, you know, we've seen, you know, he would have fumbled around or knocked a chair over as he did to uh, was it Bolton? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we. I mean, think about it. Think okay. Think about the one where um, the, the first one with the ninja that tried to was trying to assassinate Bruce in front of Summer Gleason. Mm-hmm. Bruce couldn't. He literally couldn't get past the the mental block of being of fighting as Bruce Wayne in front of someone else until Dick was able to basically blind Summer with that roll of paper or whatever it was. Then he could start kicking some ass, you know. Um, so this scene would have played out much differently had it been Bruce because I don't think he would have been able to do it mentally. You know, he. I think he needs. I don't know, maybe someone's going to shoot me an email for saying this, but I do have to wonder if he has to, and I'm talking in the cartoon universe, if he has to put on that mask to fight a villain in front of an audience. I, I know I'm going to get an email about it, so I might as well give the email address right now, feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. <laughs> That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Um, so I think it says a lot about the psychology of both characters. You know, Dick Grayson doesn't need to be Robin, but Bruce Wayne needs to be Batman, is what it boils down to. Mm -hmm. And even if you do write me and disagree with me, I'm going to stick to my guns on this one. Because I honestly can't say we've seen Bruce fight in a Batman-like style in front of an audience. I know we've seen him do it outside of the costume, but in front of an audience is what I'm saying. Be that one person or a hundred people. And we saw Dick do it here. So... Again, that, that that just goes along with my theory that one doesn't have to be the vigilante and the other one does. Uh, and even this it carries over into Justice League. Bruce, on the very few times you actually see Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. he never fights in front of an audience mm-hmm. until way, way later in the series. So, 
Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm with Mike on this one, people. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a scene that really made me chuckle. After uh, Barbara has been thrown into uh, Freeze's truck, um, though I, uh, before I get into that, I do question Freeze putting her in the back of the truck with the polar bears. Okay, because he might have the polar bears trained to obey his commands, but they're still polar bears. And now there's this piece of fresh meat in the back of the truck with them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I question the logic of that. I mean, I, I think Freeze would have opened up the back of the truck, you know, a half an hour later and gone, damn it, <laughs> as Barbara's just <laughs> laying there ripped to shreds, you know? Yeah, just bloody <laughs> chunks everywhere. So, but anyway, so as Freeze is driving away, he's smashing up cars just to, just to get the hell out of there, and uh, he sort of nudges a motorcycle, and the driver goes uh, flying off of it, and Dick's got his car keys in his hand, and he flicks them at the motorcyclist, who's like kind of just sitting on top of a car at that point, and he goes, here, take my Corvette, and then he steals the motorcycle. <laughs> I, I thought that was hilarious, because Dick's like, he knows he's committing Grand Theft Auto, but in, in some weird Robin logic, I guess, he's like, okay, I can, I can make up for this if I give him a more expensive vehicle than the one I'm stealing. A, very, a much, much more expensive <laughs> yeah. vehicle. And I, I thought that was really fun, and then it goes into that awesome chase sequence. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that was so cool with Robin on the motorcycle, and then there's like a, a half dozen police cars chasing Freeze's vehicle, and the police don't even know it's Freeze at that point. They just think it's a runaway truck. Yeah. You know? Although I take issue with them calling it a van when it was clearly an armored car, but whatever. Right. Yeah. And then you know we get a sort of Blues Brothers like crash sequence where a semi jackknifes and all the cars start crashing into it, including <laughs> the cop cars, and. Yep. You know, Robin, excuse me, Dick, I I have to correct myself here because it is Dick, it's not Robin, just jumps all the police cars and the toll booth and everything. And the way he lands the motorcycle by bringing it down on the side of the toll booth, you know, because if if he would have landed just straight on the pavement, the motorcycle would have shattered. But he, he eases it down by going down a slight slope, you know, and then he continues chasing Freeze until, of course, Freeze stops him by uh, freezing up the road and all that. But that that whole ending of the, not the whole ending, but that, that climax of the chase sequence with him jumping the toll bridge, I mean, you can't watch that without thinking about Robin's Reckoning, where Dick does the exact same thing with the bridge. Yep. I mean, the what, what, what's the name of that bridge? The uh, Shoot, those bridges that open up, what the fuck are those called? Oh, a drawbridge? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he does the same thing where he's going up the bridge, leaps, and then he just doesn't land. He actually scrapes the bike down the other side of the bridge so he just doesn't shatter the bike and kill himself, and then he continues onward. I mean, when they did this scene here in Sub-Zero, they had to be looking back at what he did the last time we saw him pull such a stunt uh, with a motorcycle. So, awesome callback. Totally awesome callback. Um, And I really like how the police officer, uh, or one of the police officers, just whistles when he sees Dick flying over the toll booth. And I'm like, that's pretty cool, you know, seeing the cops be impressed (laughs) by just some guy doing some badass tricks on a a bike like that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's committing any number of felonies by doing that, but who cares? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So, then... The next scene where Gordon is just off, has just gone nuts, mm-hmm. basically. He's, he's got the entire police force looking for Barbara Gordon, and everything's going to hell. And, uh, 
Dick has like, I don't know, three or four broken ribs or something probably yeah. from where he hit that tree. I just want to go back to that scene where uh, Gordon is ordering all the cops to get the hell out there uh, to save his daughter. Before that happened, I started thinking to myself, if they don't show a scene where Gordon is just going nuts, sending the entire police force to save his daughter, I would have brought this down by at least two points. Because that's the whole point of the Gotham Knights episode, Over the Edge, is Gordon is so pissed that his daughter has been killed that he brings the full force of the Gotham City Police Department on top of Bruce Wayne. You know? I mean, Mm -hmm. he just goes nuts. So I was like, if they don't do it here where he's going after Mr. Freeze, a bona fide villain, for kidnapping his daughter, then there's a huge mistake in this. It's like, it it would would be like they, the producers, forgot that Barbara was Gordon's daughter. So even though nothing really comes of it, I appreciate the fact that it was at least there. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you a minute ago. No, I was going to say because, and this leads into uh, uh, Bruce Wayne finally starting to get screen time in this episode, or in this movie. I don't know why I keep doing that all the time, but anyway... Yeah, so, you know, up to this point, we've seen very little of Bruce Wayne, but this is where he starts to join the party, basically. Right. Uh, because up until now, it's been uh, Dick Grace, the Dick Grayson, Barbara Gordon, Mr. Freeze show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like how uh, Bruce went into Batman mode as soon as uh, the police left, shut the door. Yeah, that was so awesome, just... Just the switch in his voice. And what's even cooler is that Dick is walking towards the door before Bruce says it. Mm-hmm. Bruce or Dick knows what Bruce is about to say, but it's still cool just seeing him just turn the switch. Just shut the door. <laughs> <laughs> then he starts clicking around on the computer. That was such a cool moment. It really was, yeah. Uh, um, we While we're on this scene, we have to mention that Montoya's in a uniform again. Yep. So, again, I don't know where she is. I mean, I just have no clue what's going on with her. You know, is she a detective? Is she a beat cop? Beat cop. What's going on? Because I think this episode, very clearly, continuity-wise, falls in place after Batgirl's return, after Batgirl returns, but before Gotham Knights. I mean, we know it's before Gotham Knights because Dick is still there. This isn't Tim. But it has to be after Batgirl returns because she's acting as Batgirl. In the beginning mm-hmm. of the film. So, because in, in Batgirl Returns, I was under the impression that she hadn't put on the Batgirl costume since the last time we saw her. Right. That's, and that's what happened. Right. So this has to be after the animated series ended. Um, but Montoya was a detective at that time. So what's going on with her? I need to know. She's oh. demoted and promoted and demoted and promoted. <laughs> You know what? Maybe she forgot her suit that day, and she said, "Oh, you know what? I have a uniform and a locker. I'll just put that on, and I'm still a well, detective. Don't worry about it." Well, me, guys. L- let's look at it this way: If it's 90 degrees outside, uh, would you want to be wearing a trench coat <laughs> <That's> <laughs> at <true>. night? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that, that's true. Uh, that's. Uh, we'll just, I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's right. that's the only way I can keep my sanity when trying to think of what the hell uh, Montoya is actually doing. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! But I, you know, I forget what happens after the after Bruce starts searching the computer. What happens after that? Uh, he starts searching the computer and he pulls up Barbara's file. Right, and I remember that. In doing so, he f- sees her blood type and he sees that um, he, she, Barbara shares a blood type with Nora Freeze. Right. So now he's starting to go, "Hey, wait a minute! We know it was Mister Freeze that kidnapped her, 
but they didn't know why up until this point. Now they're like, wait a minute, Nora has the same blood type. Is something going on with Nora? These, the, it's starting to click in his head what could possibly be happening. So, right, because Bullock said that uh, they got a call that uh, uh, Barbara's roommate got a call from somebody at the Gotham Central Hospital wondering uh, wondering where Barbara was because she was listed with them as an organ donor. Right. Or a blood donor. Right. So that that's why he starts checking the computer about her blood type. So then once he figures out that Nora has the same very rare blood type as Barbara, he goes to Gothcorp to talk to uh, the leading scientist in cryogenics. That happens to be Gregory Belson or whatever his name is. Who yeah, that's his name. is hooked up, we know now, we, we've known for a while now, is hooked up with Freeze. And Bruce remembers that the car that was slipped over was registered to a Gregory Belson. So now Belson's missing, and he's a cryogenics uh, scientist. So he's able to put two and two together and go, okay, he must be working with Freeze in this abduction of Barbara. That's, that's what happens there. Mm-hmm. So they decide to go search his... Uh, search his apartment or his house, right. wherever he is, wherever he's living, and uh, then they get the stockbroker's number, and that's how they find him. Now, but before we go any further, mm-hmm. I want to mention that when we were speaking about Mr. Freeze in Deep Freeze, we mentioned the continuity error because they said that Victor had worked for uh, Wayne Enterprises or Wayne Corp. Or Got, well, they said Goth Corp. In what? In this in one? In Deep Freeze. In Deep Freeze. No, in Deep Freeze, I thought they said Wayne, because I remember I thought that I mentioned that was a continuity error. No, it was Gothcorp. Really? Yeah. You even said it was Gothcorp, and I remember them specifically saying in Deep Freeze that it was Gothcorp. Oh, then it wasn't a continuity error then. Because remember, I went on that whole thing about it being a continuity error. Well, see, I thought that when you said that uh, during uh, episode, that be 18, yeah. episode 18, uh, I thought, oh, wow, did, does Bruce Wayne own Gothcorp? Oh. And I was like, oh, I don't want to say anything. Okay. I, for, That's, that, when you were saying that, I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that Bruce Wayne owned Gothcorp, but I'll just go with it because he probably knows more than I do about it. <laughs> oh, so. see, I got it jumbled up in my head then. Okay, oh, okay, then I got to take back that whole thing about me saying it was a continuity error. Okay, 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 um, I was wrong. If Because then Boyle did own Gothcorp. That's right. Or at least I guess, yeah, I guess that was what it was. Okay, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I'm sorry I screwed that up. Um because I was going to say in this, they got it right again, but okay, I guess they had it right all along, and I was the one that had it wrong, so pardon me. But, you know, anyway, as as we go throughout this, basically the second half of this movie, we get several scenes where Barbara's trying to escape, and, you know, they the doctor comes in, and he tries to basically, I guess, put her to sleep with some kind of injection, and she kicks that out of his hand, and she, and Freeze, um, Freeze literally almost shoots her about, two dozen times with the freeze gun and Belson stops him every time. Yeah. And it really gets annoying it at does. some point. It's like it's like freeze. You can't shoot her. If you shoot her, Nora dies. Yeah, it, it almost should have been the other way around where Belson was trying to get a little too rough with Barbara. And Freeze was stopping him saying fool and just smacking him, you know? Yeah. I didn't understand Freeze constantly shooting his beam at the woman. It's like, dude, you there's very few people that can save your wife right now, and she's one of them. Chill out. No pun intended. Um, anyway, and, and then uh, during one of these random escape attempted escape scenes, she uh, makes friends with uh, Kunak, a.k.a. plot device number two. <laughs> and that sets up something later on, but we'll get to that later. So. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, that's what happens throughout the, these random escape scenes just happen all throughout the second half of the movie. And I liked seeing those because, you know, she's not the helpless princess, for lack of a better no, term. No, she's not a damsel in distress. Right, she, she might have been abducted, but you know what? I mean, there's that one scene where she's got the chain. Remember, she gets chained to the bed? Yeah. And Belson unchains the end of the bed, so she's got the other part. It's still connected to her arm, and she's free. And she just starts twirling that thing around, and she's kicking ass with it until Freeze blasts it. And, well, then she loses her weapon. Um, And we get that scene where she's jumping up and down, up and down on the bed, trying to reach the vent. And, you know, she's crawling through that, doing everything she can to get away. So that was really cool that we get to see her not just sitting there crying and pouting, oh, woe is me, come save me, Batman, and come save me, Daddy. You know, that she, because mm-hmm. yeah, she almost escaped. She got, she, she found an exit, and then it turns out, oh, shit, she's on an oil rig. Had yeah. that been on an oil rig, she would have gotten away. And because they were, you know, she got captured again because she literally had nowhere to run. She's not going to take, you know, a 500-foot dive into the into the ocean. Where the hell is she going to go? They're five miles from shore. That said, she's not going to be able to swim that far, uh, right. especially in probably what's cold, shark-infested waters. Um so, yeah, seeing Barbara Gordon as anything but the damsel in distress, uh, you know, I appreciated that. Yeah, and what I, another thing I appreciated was we got more of Detective Batman. That, I was just about to bring that up. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, you know, when, uh, when they go, when they go uh, get out of the stockbroker's uh, house, they, they basically, uh, Nelson calls the stockbroker while Batman and Robin are, uh, uh, inside the stockbroker's loft, uh, interrogating him. Basically, they uh, they record the, the conversation. So they and they take the tape back to the Batcave, and then they and uh, Batman starts analyzing the tape to hear sounds in the background, and you can hear the the uh, sh- uh, a ship go by in the background. And you can hear a uh, buoy, which uh, Alfred recognizes. So it was really cool. It was really cool. They one thing after another, they start piecing it together. Yeah, I mean, from the donor list to the phone call that Harvey mentions earlier, to the stockbroker's uh, apartment, to the phone call there, uh, to the background noises, to the maps that he pulls out. I mean, it's all detective work. It's not just pulling random information out of his head and oh, now we have to go here, now we have to go here. No, it's honest work that he has to do. It's so that was really cool. Yeah. Um I guess and and from here uh they 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 start uh oh that's what happens. Alfred starts uh Batman tells Alfred to start analyzing the the uh the uh surgical equipment and stuff they found at Belson's place. And when uh, Batman and Robin are getting into the Batwing to go fly off to save Barbara. Alfred runs up to him and, and tells him what the stuff is and that it's for an organ transplant. But he says he says the technical name of it, right. which which only only Bruce understands. And Dick's like, "Whoa, what, what, what's going on?" And Bruce informs him of it and tells him what it is. And it's like, "Oh God, we gotta go now." Yeah. And the they the Batwing just blasts off. If there's one, another thing they did really well in this this thing was the animation. Yeah, they used the, a lot especially of the vehicles. When it came to the mm-hmm. to the vehicles. And yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, I know they used a little 3D animation in Mask of the Phantasm. They did it in the opening credit sequence, correct? 
Right. But is this the first time that you use 3D animation when it comes to the vehicles and chase sequences? Yes, it is. So, cool. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah. Now, one thing I noted, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, because I could be wrong. Okay, when Batman first fires up the Batwing, it's got kind of its yellowish flame coming out of the turbine in the back, okay? Mm-hmm. When Alfred then says, sir, this is what's going on, like, shit, go save the girl, the, fl- the, the, the flame turns blue. And I was wondering, did when Batman figured out, when Alfred told Batman what was going on and Batman realized how, what, what the, how dire the situation was, did he, like, put the Batwing into, like, super overdrive? Is that what the blue flame was supposed to, like, represent, that it was going to go even faster than it normally could? Because normally it's got the, a yellow flame coming out of the back, not the blue. So, it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, because that blue flame erupted as soon as they realized what was happening and how quickly they had to save Barbara. So it really made me think that Bruce initi- you know, initiated some sort of warp drive or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, did you Maybe. catch that? I mean, have we seen a blue flame on the plane before? Uh, I don't think so. I know, I know we do later on in, uh, uh, World's Finest and Justice League, but I know, I'm not sure, I don't think we saw it in the series. Okay, in for, BTAS. maybe it's yellow when it starts up and it turns to blue when he just is in flight. I don't know, but because of the timing of it, it made me think he, again, was going extra fast. Like, mm-hmm. seriously breaking, like, Mach, I don't know, 53 it, or something. I don't know. Well, it made for a great scene. Oh, yeah, going I, through the cave? I, well, and and just the, the lead up to it, with Alfred telling him what it is, Batman being like, basically saying "Oh shit," yeah. and then and Dick's like "What? What?" Mm-hmm. and then he explains it to him, and you're thinking to yourself, "Uh oh." Yeah, they really that was a really really good scene. Yeah, what I also liked about that scene was um, we knew what was going on with Barbara and Mister Freeze. Mm-hmm. We knew that this was about an organ transplant that was going to kill Barbara, but. You know, Batman, Alfred, and Robin, they didn't know. And I like that storytelling technique where the audience knows what's going on, but the hero doesn't. And yeah, it's dramatic irony. Right, and we're waiting for the hero to figure it out. And they pulled it off quite well here. And I think what made it work so wonderfully was the voice acting with Kevin Conroy because... You know, we don't get to see Batman be surprised all that often. I mean, come on, he's Batman. He knows everything, okay? So for him to have this revealed to him, because he still hadn't figured it out, Alfred did, for him to have it revealed to him and for him to be shocked tells you how fucked up this situation is. Um, So when it's all revealed and it all comes together, it it just fits perfectly. From Alfred's reaction to Batman's reaction to Dick's reaction, it's it's so good. Because that's a tough thing to pull off. It really is. Because, mm-hmm. again, if the audience knows, there's they're not going to be surprised. There's You know what I mean? When the hero figures it out, they're, they're not going to be surprised. We've known since page one what was going on. Like, assuming exactly. they're reading a book or a comic or something. So... You, when you have to have the, when the hero figures it out, you have to add a little something extra to make that scene mean more. And in this case, that something extra was Batman showing emotion, and it's all thanks to Kevin's voice work there. Yeah, and Lauren Lester too, because Mm -hmm. they they each, Alfred, Batman, and Robin each have their own inflections and their voices during that exchange, Mm -hmm. and they all meshed very, very well. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, they basically fly off to save Barbara. And while this is happening, uh, Kunak uh, enters, enters the uh, chamber where they're going to be doing the surgery. 
and he he like tackles he tackles Freeze or Bellson. Which one does he tackle? Because he he, he causes Nora's bed to uh, like uh, I don't know whatever that thing she's laying on to break. I think he does. He flip the table at Belson, bumping Freeze into the bed, which breaks the I, bed. Is that it? I haven't. I can't remember for the life of me. I I just think he tackles one of them, and it causes uh, Freeze to go flying into the bed and and it break or Nora's bed, and it breaks it. And he's he's frantically trying to put the uh, Nora's bed back together so she won't die there. Okay, wait, wait. He okay at that moment they're giving Barbara the gas. They're anesthetizing yeah. her, so he mm. he rips the tube out or he turns the tank off right. or something. Shit. He either flips the table or, yeah, tackles someone. It's one of the two. But either way, you're right. Freeze hits the bed. It breaks. He's fixing it. So his attention is totally not on the fight that's happening behind him because he's trying to save his wife. And what happens to the little kid? He just disappears after that. I mean, I know he pops up, but Barbara runs away, so the attention's taken off of him, right? Yeah, he Kunak just kind of like hides in a corner, basically, until the, until Batman and Barbara come and save him. Right. As the movie is about to end. So Barbara starts running away, and i got a problem with this, because I've had surgery several times. Um, one of the times they put me under using uh, an IV drip, okay? Another time they put me under, they did do gas on me. And I was, well, the second they put, uh, I shouldn't say the second, but after they put the mask on me and they turned the tank on, I was out within 10 seconds, I mean, they have you count backwards from 100, so you're like 100, 98, 99, 98, 97. Next thing you know, you're waking up, you know, in the in your hospital room. Post-op. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're, and your surgery's done. You are out within seconds. And that gas is on her for a while. Now, maybe you could claim she was holding her breath. I don't know. But I really would have liked it better if she was a little woozy, like she did ingest some of that gas. Yeah. Um, like, maybe she just kind of... Stumbles into a wall and then and then wakes her back up a little right, bit and then something. she keeps running. There, like there, there was something. I mean, that gas was turned on. She shouldn't have been at full strength when she uh, wakes up. But regardless, you know, she wakes up, she goes running, and now here's a huge, quite possibly the biggest gripe I have with this movie. As right, she's wait, running away, before, I'm sorry. What's that? Oh, are you, I, I think I know what you're going to say, but is it, does it have to do with the uh, oil rig itself? No, it doesn't. Okay, well then go ahead. I'll say mine in a minute. Okay, Belson. Oh, I know where you're going. I didn't even think about that, but I know. I think uh. I know where you're going now that you mentioned <laughs> Belson opens up a drawer and pulls out a revolver. Why would Mr. Freeze have Freeze. a revolver on the oil rig? He's got his freeze gun. That's not Belson's gun. There's no yeah. way that's Belson's gun because that would imply that Belson had the gun at the party because he hasn't been home since then. He's been with Freeze on the rig for the last two weeks or whatever it's been. Well, not two weeks, but... A, day or two, whatever. He, there, so what's that gun doing there? That just didn't make a lick of sense. Mm-hmm. And then furthermore, when he's chasing Barbara, he shoots the gun eight times. Eight it's times. It's a six-shooter. It's a six-shooter, but he pulls the trigger eight times. I, You know, is it nerdy of me to have counted? Yes. but you Not know really. I'm a nerd, so I'm going to count. I don't think it's nerdy at all. <laughs> it, it just, that makes not a bit of sense. I mean, had it been, you know, like a forty-five or something with a clip, okay, fine, whatever. Eight bullets, I won't flinch yet. I don't even know how many 
bullets a magazine holds, okay? I'm not even going to pretend to know. I've never even touched a gun in my life. But I'm pretty sure it's more than six, so I would have bought it. But a revolver? Uh, no. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Now, do you want to bring up your big gripe here? Yeah, because as he's shooting at these tanks, they're filled with oil. This thing is supposed to be abandoned. <laughs> now, why would any government in their right mind abandon an oil derrick that is chock full of oil? <laughs> yeah. I so did not think about that, but the second you started saying, you, you, you started hinting at your gripe, it all clicked in my head what you were going to say. You are, you are so spot on with that, sir. Oh. I mean, and that's, that's a huge, I mean, that's, they had to have a gigantic explosion, mm -hmm. but couldn't they have thought of some other way to do it? I mean, couldn't there have been a generator in there somewhere that blew up? or A computer. <laughs> uh, there you go, and a TV, and a TV yeah, someone connected. Could have, someone could have punched a computer and knocked over the television, just ca causing the entire oil rig, which had no gas in it, blow up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man. But uh, crap, crap, crap. I, I do think you know, despite the silliness of the rig still being full of. Uh, oh God, <laughs> I have another one. I just thought of. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Now finish my thought in a second. <laughs> okay. This guy has already proven himself an idiot by shooting at a, at a, a tank that's full of oil. Mm -hmm. He's going to shoot someone with a lead bullet so he can harvest their organs. Yeah. <laughs> that, you're gonna put some, you're gonna pump somebody full of lead, a poisonous metal, and then you're gonna, you're gonna harvest their organs. Yeah. I mean, okay. It, it, okay. That's why I said earlier it should have been him that was trying to attack Barbara. Not him being the one to stop Freeze from doing it. So this way, we saw that he already didn't care about her. You see what I'm saying there? Yeah. But earlier, he's the one that's trying to save her because he wants his money, not because he's trying to save her. And yeah. now he's trying to kill her, which is going to guarantee he doesn't get his money. So it's it's a complete reversal of what happened earlier, and it just, it just doesn't make sense. Um, now, what I was starting to say earlier was, you know, despite the... Uh, idiocy of the character here um, and despite the stupidity of the oil rig still having oil in it even though it's supposed to have been abandoned I do think the animation during this sequence all the way to the end is some of the best that we've seen uh, not just in this movie but in the entire run of Batman the Animated Series I think the front part of this episode or movie pardon me I think it was kind of weak there. Earlier I was mentioning Dick being a little too thicker than Thick, he should be. Yeah. And, you know, the lip syncing not being right also goes towards the animation being off. Um, but as the action picks up, that's where the animation really shines in this. Because those explosions, those shots, those far shots of the oil rig, of the, the, the flames coming out of the oil rig and just spiraling around, that's all really awesome. Um, so... At least they Amen. got the action right, you know, but the the logic behind uh, some character motiv motivations weren't uh, exactly f as fleshed out as they should have been. Yeah, and, you know, I liked, I liked the ending, the very ending, after, after all the explosions, after after Belson gets crushed by the helipad. Oh, my God. That was cool, that was, was it not? That was gruesome. <laughs> Uh, another guy clearly getting killed on screen. Mm -hmm. uh, but after everything is said and done, and uh, Batman rescues Barbara, Nora, and uh, Eskimo Kid Kunak from this uh, oil rig, 
Uh, and after everything's said and done, and uh, they've returned to Gotham, they say that Nora's been cured. And I, no, I didn't so much like that. But what I did like was how uh, Freeze was again wandering around out in the in the Arctic, mm-hmm. and he sees he he hear, he hears the broadcast inside. Uh, uh, I guess Ice Station Zebra. <laughs> Uh, he he watch he sees the broadcast and you know he cries and it was a really touching moment it really was but my gripe with that is if Nora has been cured then it makes no sense to have Freeze continue to be a villain on into Gotham Knights and Batman Beyond. Isn't it said why he's a villain when he comes back in Gotham Knights? Well, I mean he's just a head when he comes back. But I thought he explains his motivation. I can't remember. Maybe maybe he does. I just don't remember because I haven't watched Gotham Knights in a couple years. There's something in the back of my head, and I could be off because I'm right there with you. I, it's been a long time since I've seen the bulk of the Gotham Knights series. Um, but I could swear he mentioned something about being rejected by Nora. Or maybe I'm completely making that up. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I read that somewhere. I don't know. Um, I think maybe what he says is... He try. He may have tried to come back to Gotham and uh, re and reunite with Nora, but he before he could do it, he said, "How could, how could she love th- what I've become, or something like that? Something very emo, okay. I must say." Okay. Not that I blame him for being emo. No, I mean, still, it, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, if there's any bat villain that that deserves the right to be emo, it's it's Mister Freeze, yeah. surely. Yeah, it is. Um. You know, especially in Gotham Knights, where he is just the head on the spider walking body thing. Ugh, yeah, crazy. Ugh, yeah, that uh, is the creepiest. Um, but the Nora stuff aside, you could claim that at this point in Gotham Knights, not in this movie, but in Gotham Knights, that the reason he continues to be a criminal is just because he's so pissed off now. Because now his wife's cured, and he's happy for her but there's no way he can ever be with her again because now he's just a hat. So he's just pissed at the world? I mean, could does that do it for you? Uh, I, I, if I was just a head walking around, I'd probably be pissed at the world too, so, so I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i grant you that one. Okay, so that's what I'm going to go with on that. Maybe I'll change my mind when we get to Gotham Knights and we finally, get, we finally hear the explanation from Freeze, if there is one, um, but that's what I'm going I'm sh- with right I'm sh- now. I know there is. I know there is. I just can't remember what it is. It's just, uh, right now, just seeing this and knowing what's hap- what's coming ahead without knowing the explanation, I have, to be, I have to think, what? why is he still a criminal? Yeah, yeah, you got a point there. Okay. The, the spider head thing notwithstanding. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, going back to the oil rig where Batman and Barbara are saving uh, the Eskimo... What did you say his name was? Uh, Kunak. Kunak. Kunak and uh, Nora, when they're running through the, 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 the oil rig that's all on fire, um, and Barbara's, you know, doing all the things she's doing, this has to be where Batman figures it out. Because remember in Over the Edge, when he reveals to her that he is Batman, that Bruce Wayne is Batman... He says to her, he says something like, I'm not the only one with secret, secrets, am I? Batgirl. I think that's the, it's the line, something like that. And over the edge. Did I say over the edge? I meant, I'm yeah, sorry, old you meant wounds. The first, old wounds. Old wounds, yeah. Sorry, pardon she, me. He says, he says, uh, 
it's my I make it my business to know. Okay, there you when, go. When, yeah. So I'm thinking this has to be where he figured it out. She's mm-hmm. got the red hair. I mean, that's the biggest giveaway right there. Never mind the fact she doesn't even try to hide her voice. She's being very heroic. Um, she's she she's doing all these crazy gymnastics because think about it when she when she zipped. Well, did he see that though? I don't think. No, no. He, he and he and Robin did see her do the gymnastics on the pipe when she got mm. stuck up on the before she got stuck up on the top of the rig when they shot of the line. I could swear she did some gym, gymnastics that they saw. No, I'm. I want to say that I'm almost positive it happened before they got there. What they saw was her still running, uh, r- running to the uh, uh, the rig or the uh, oil tank. But maybe I'm wrong. I just it seems to me that I think that's what ha- that was the. Uh, Sequence of events. Okay, well, even if he, they didn't see her doing the, the gymnastic stuff, that's fine. This has to be where he figured it out. This just absolutely has to be it in my mind. I can't think of a better moment. <laughs> yeah, I know something Dick doesn't know is basically what's going on in his head. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that leads to the old wounds. Uh, that really leads into the old wounds storyline or contributes to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's him knowing him knowing that's Batgirl, and but Robin not knowing. Right. Oh, so, I mean, that that's pretty much the, the end of the film right there. Mm-hmm. Um, Victor, it really it ends with Victor walking out into the into the Arctic abyss, basically. Yeah, I liked his ice cast. I thought that was a neat little thing. That Yeah, that was a nice little touch. Yeah. Um, so what are your overall thoughts about this? I mean, of course, we were giving them throughout, but overall, what do you feel about this? Well, I think that the good and the bad even out. I really do. I'm gonna and I'm gonna grade this accordingly. Uh, there's plenty of plenty of good things to be said about this episode. The animation at most at most most points of the of the movie, the animation is just spot on. Robin is Robin's characterization here is just brilliant, top uh, you know line to line. And but there the there's just so many plot devices and plot holes that. It, the bad you know, basically evens out with the good, I think. So that, and I'm going to grade it grade it accordingly. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you. As a matter of fact, um, I think I might score it a little higher than you're going to, simply because of the moments with Dick Grayson. Because um, again, I'm a Dick Grayson fanboy. Well, um, I mean, I, you, you're excused. I mean, look at me and my Mad Hatter Riddler <laughs> <yeah>. marked him. <laughs> But if I wasn't a Dick Grayson fan, I think I would kind of give it a more middle-of-the-road score. Um, but like I said, I'm going to give it some bonus points because of that. Um, but before we get to our scores, are there, is there anything else you want to bring up about this film that maybe we didn't get to while we were discussing it? Um, I, I guess the last thing I would say is, yeah, up until this point, we said on episode 18 that if there was any villain that this series got right, it was Mr. Freeze. Now, Mr. Freeze has plenty of good moments here, but I think they really did him a disservice in many moments, making just making him seem gullible and stupid, kind of like Deep Freeze. Hmm. So I didn't. I really was displeased with that. How how he's just he becomes a raving lunatic, basically trying to shoot Barbara with that damn ice gun yeah. over and over and over again. It's like just stop. But that I, that's 
that's really all I have left to say. Okay. I, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, because it wasn't like he was just trying to block her path when she was going through those vents. He was, because, you know, he can control the way the ice impacts. You know, he can use a low-level beam to put out some fire. He can create, a, a, you know, an ice slick. Or, in this case, he can shoot it so, like, icicles come, like, flying up through a vent. And that's exactly what he was doing at Barbara. And it's like, okay? You're trying to impale her? Yeah, like, why? But anyways, um, so do you want to go ahead and score this one then? I suppose so. Okay, what do you give uh, Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero? I will grade it a 5.5. Okay, I am going to give this one a 7. I think I would give it a 5, possibly a 6. But again, Dick Grayson being a badass... It gets a seven from me. I want checkpoints on a 20-mile radius at I-13, I-54, and out to Route 27. Choppers in the air with infrared scopes, and a door-to-door search of every possible hideout within 50 miles. Montoya, set up a command post in the operations room. Right. Did you get a rundown on the license plate? It's a stolen van. They found it ditched in Briscoe Canyon about an hour ago. All right. That's pretty rugged terrain. They can't have gotten too far if they're on foot. Set up checkpoints at a 20-mile radius and search every inch all the way down to the ocean. Come on, people. A guy in a weird suit with two polar bears can't be hard to spot. I want my daughter found, and I want her found now. Don't worry, sir. We're on it. Then why are you still standing here talking to me? Come on, let's move out. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll take a look back at all of Batman the Animated Series and we'll rescore a handful of episodes. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. (laughs) 